Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Art of It All. I'm your host, Daria Simone Harper, and today I am joined by the incredible visual performing artist, political educator, documentarian, writer, and beyond, Melly. Welcome to the show, Melly. How are you? Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. ready for this conversation. I feel good. like it's going to be juicy. Yes. Um, and also very introspective. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And you also have us a beautiful podcast voice. So. Oh, my goodness. Thank yeah. you. Stop <laughs> it. I really appreciate that. You do, too, which I'm sure I know you already know how beautiful your voice is. But you have such a beautiful speaking Thank voice you. as well. I think that's that's always something amazing. I feel like sometimes when you hear someone speak you know instantly you're like oh you can sing or you can you know what I mean you can start to feel it already just the tone I don't know it's something about it so I really appreciate that especially coming from you so absolutely I'm really excited like Melly said to chat I'm gonna get us kicked off with a bit of an intro for those of you who are not familiar Melly is a political educator writer documentarian burgeoning pop star. She's also a director, producer, musician all around. She uses an interdisciplinary approach to teach political education rooted in pop culture, history, and contemporary politics. She is also focused in creating work that visually depicts stories surrounding Black womanhood, girlhood, queerness. Melissa's work has been recognized by Natalie Portman, Oddly Jean, Refinery29, Exo Nicole, and Brute Media. And she has some really exciting projects as well that she is working on right now. We'll talk a little bit about that later. So I'm super excited to dig into the projects that you're working on currently, some of the work that you've done previously, and all the ideas that you're addressing throughout your work. But before we get into that, just tell me a little bit about how things are in your world. Like, how are things moving for you right now? How are you feeling? (laughs) Well, it's so funny because I think the timing of this talk is it's coming like literally right after I I just had like a really affirming moment yesterday. I think that's the best way to describe it. So yesterday I had a speaking engagement at a teen summit in Wisconsin. And I essentially played them a snippet from my debut single coming out. Yes. And they loved it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So I think for me right now, life is moving very quickly because we are really a two person team working our asses off to put out this new body of work. Yeah. But yesterday actually getting to premiere it to an audience, um, specifically young, young black folks. And they loved it and they received me really well. It, it, It really was affirming because I think something I've been sitting with these past few months is like I told people that I was a pop star and they believed me like it worked and it worked way better than I thought it would. And so now I'm in a really interesting place where I am reaping the benefits of it working. But I think in a a way, I'm like kind of just awestruck like that the world is unfolding like this for me. And so I think I feel very surreal, but also very grounded and very like I am where I belong right now. But it's also I mean, life is moving and I have to move with it. So hopefully finding time to celebrate that soon. Yes, but important. yeah, life is moving very quickly. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm really grateful for you for sharing that because I feel like that's such a powerful message. What you said about, I told people I'm a pop star 
and they believed it, but also it's this idea of proclaiming that and you stepping mm-hmm. into it and you mm-hmm. believing it yourself. I think that's something that so many can learn from and such an intentional uh, step that a lot of us need to take in different ways to kind of actualize or begin moving in that direction or being whatever it may look like, but stepping into it and stepping into it so firmly and really making that claim, the way that things start to shift from there, I think is, it's beautiful to see. So I'm so glad that you had that experience as well. That's such a special moment. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for sharing with me and with the listeners. We, we're going to jump into things. So okay. for the listeners, <laughs> you can you can follow Melly on Instagram, which you must do right now. I absolutely love your digital presence, your digital footprint. You can follow Melly on Instagram at Queer Cadet. As I already mentioned very briefly, Melly deals with thinking through different aspects of queerness and really digging into identity and these experiences throughout her work. So please, if you're listening right now, go ahead and follow along so you can become familiar with Melly's work and also just continue to stay plugged in with what she has coming up. Like I mentioned, Melly is an incredibly talented, multifaceted artist working in film, music, and beyond. So to get us started, I just want to ask, as an artist and as an individual, who is Melly? This is a great question, and it's reminding me of a conversation I had very recently because I was walking somebody through my strategy deck for my art, yeah. and they were asking me, they were like, are you talking about Melly in third person? And I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> yes. Okay. I love that. I love that. Tell me but more. It's something, so I, I guess the first thing to explain is Nelly is a character that I have developed. And the reason why I've been so intentional about doing that is because Melissa Denizard is a whole different person. Okay. And I say that because I think we know ourselves best, right? We know ourselves most intimately. We know yeah. our vulnerabilities. We know our fears. And far too often we can stand in our own way of elevating to where we want to go. And so for me, Melissa Denizard, she is the person who I I always like to say Melissa Denizard is the brains of the operation and Melly is the face. Melly is the, the siren. Okay. Yes. I Um, love that. But Melissa Denizard, like, you know, she, she doesn't always feel comfortable going on a stage and, you know, like performing at max potential and really like alluring her audience to get into the work. Melissa Denizar is kind of awkward. You know, she doesn't always (laughs) feel comfortable stepping out of her comfort zone. Whereas Melly is like who I can escape into or like she's kind of like she's the the star in in a sense. And so for me, it was very important when I was working on my self-actualization journey to give myself a character that I could attribute all of those characteristics to. Beautiful. Before I told anybody that I was a pop star, before I announced the shift I was making to artivism, I essentially spent a really long time writing out who I wanted to be and how I wanted to make people feel. Okay. And I think in a lot of ways it scared me because mm. I wasn't that person yet. And so Nelly, it was a character that I I fell into because I really needed a shield that would kind of protect my inner self from feeling too, too vulnerable or too, or too open or too seen. I needed a conduit, something that I could pour all of that energy into that would clearly translate all of the work that I'm trying to get out into the world without Melissa getting in the way of that. 
I guess that's I love is my alter ego. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's so beautifully said. There was one thing that you kind of spoke a little bit about or just kind of started to get into, which was your shift into artivism, which I also mm-hmm. love that, the usage of that language. But I know that you have a background in political organizing. You know, you mentioned the shift, but throughout that time within your experience organizing and things, were you still identifying as an artist in different ways? And if not, kind of what that evolution looked like, what that shift came from, um, and maybe how that background is also impacting the work that you're doing now through your artistry as well. Yeah, that's a really great question. I feel like I've always been an artist. Like yeah. when I was in high school, I I was I was a musical theater kid. Like, oh, beautiful! I would, yeah, like I was often like a supporting role. And my senior year, I did I did a lead role, which was really cool. Amazing! Um, I've been in choir uh, yeah. like for for a while. Nice. Um, I also used to do spoken word. I was on the debate team, and like beautiful. I, I was one of the first students who introduced spoken word into, into onto that stage. Okay. Um. So I would say I've always been an artist. Yeah. But. I think when I stumbled into movement work and I did, I, I did so at the age of 14. So from the age of 14 to about 21, I was organizing around racial justice and education. Right. And I think when I stumbled into movement work, I really lost my individual identity because okay. all of my, all my sole purpose in life really became how do I serve the community? How do I serve the collective? I and see. I think especially when you're a young person coming into a collective movement, it's very easy to lose yourself, be- hmm. especially as a, as a young black queer girl, because essentially the world tells us our only role in this world, in this life is to serve other people. And when you Same. enter a movement space, right. Yeah. And, and all, all you're doing is trying to mobilize people around a collective issue. It becomes really easy to forget who you are, what your interests are and what your particular mission on this life is. And so in 2020, um, around the time of the racial justice protests, I think for me and I, and, I, and I think for a lot of organizers, there was a beautiful moment that only lasted maybe like a few days um, because I think okay. seeing people mobilize or finally start to care and, and, be, and be unapologetic about caring about Black lives. Yeah. I think for me, that was just like, oh my God, like all this work I've been doing, it's finally coming into fruition. Like mm-hmm. maybe the revolution is going to come today, right? Like yes. I really, I think I was dreaming. I was happy. Yeah, I, I was of elated. course, of course. But then I quickly realized that these worlds that we were building were not including Black girls and Black queer hmm. folks. It was not including me. Wow. And, you know, I think I think for me, when, when that came to a head was, yeah. you know, the, the, the murder of, of, of Lua Toy and Salwav, mm, you know, this, yes. this, black, this Black girl yes, who had been on the streets protesting, and then a day or so later was murdered. Yeah. And, it, and it was murdered through intercommunal violence. Yes. And so I think for me, I was going through a lot that summer, but that was the moment that really compelled me to stop. And it made me wonder, like, why am I doing this work? (laughs) And how is this work servicing me just as much as I'm servicing it? And, you know, to be very transparent, when I was organizing, there was a lot of trauma that I that I went through. I mean, it wasn't just trauma from like, you know, white people or white supremacists or whatever. It was also intercommunal violence that I I was experiencing from people who did not want a black girl to be speaking up in the ways that I was or people who did not appreciate that Mm. I was a black girl that was unapologetic about 
demanding a better world for myself and for my peers. And so there was a lot of abuse that I experienced. And so that moment when I, when I, when I saw that happening, you know, this, this clear contradiction of how is it that this girl was in the streets fighting for a better world and she didn't even have a home to go to. She did not have food to, to, to go home to, Seriously. you know, like, how are we supporting our, yes. our, our frontliners? And typically the people on the front line are black girls and black queer folks, yep. period. Every single so time. It, it, right. Every single time. So for me, it was just like, what is going on? And so I, I decided I was going to take a step back from organizing and I didn't have a roadmap for that. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, okay. but I just knew in my heart that I couldn't continue giving in this way without hmm. receiving. And so I spent about maybe like uh, six to eight months um, in solitude, thinking, um, crying, going through an identity crisis because I literally let go of that collectivist identity. And I had to start understanding who I was as an individual. Hmm. And so essentially I decided, you know, if I'm not going to be organizing anymore, how can I still be of service to this? to this idea of liberation, but yeah. how do I also put myself at the center of it? And I think for me, the, the conversation that transformed me was this conversation I was having with another organizer, a black queer organizer as well, um, a femme. Okay. And we were just complaining and lamenting about our positionality and just wondering what we were going to do next. Hmm. And I asked on the phone, I was just like, why do I believe in you know the the possibility for these systems to be transformed before I believe in my capacity to be transformed? What? All right, all right. A word yeah. on today. And it was in that moment that I realized, okay, like there needs to be something. There not only there needs to be something else, but there is something else after this. Like my my life does not end because I decide to shift course or or, or go against organizing it, it doesn't end and so I I decided to go back to music I started taking wow. voice lessons Beautiful. um in the pandemic I met a voice teacher through clubhouse and I hit oh, her up yes and she became my, my voice coach and then um I stumbled into Houston I had gone to visit my best friend uh my best friend Kay for a week okay and we had spent the weekend in Houston and the clean version of the story is I just decided to pursue <laughs> music but the juicy version uh, is the juice. I'm, <laughs> the juice. I'm gonna give you the tea. The juicy version is that <laughs> during that week long trip that I took with my best friend, yeah. I actually ended up meeting somebody that I fell in love with. Oh, We're wow. no longer in love. Okay. But, but I did you had that experience. That yeah. And he was also an artist too. And he heard me sing and he was like, maybe you should consider moving here to Texas to Houston to like explore that further. Yeah. And I did. And yeah. I told, I, I was like to Kay, I was like, Hey, I think maybe we should do something with this time that we have here. And we decided to make our first music video. I had just won a $5,000 grant for the organizing work I had done when I was younger. Right. I was like, let's put that money into this dream. And we created a music video. And from there, the world has just been moving fast. Yeah. And the world has felt like it's been opening up for for us. But yeah, I mean, really like the the genesis of of my music career really started from a place of deep despair and deep lack. And it was about really finding inspiration from black feminists from black women who had felt like they had lost it all and figuring out how I was going to alchemize my struggles my my plight to make something new and fresh and and really empowering out of it 
Absolutely. I have a couple other questions, but you started to get into it. So I want to talk about this film, this video, Exodus, the the film that you and Kay worked on, which is absolutely striking, breathtaking. So many powerful themes that you're addressing and working with in this that I would love for us to dig into. So again, if you are listening and following along, you can see some of, I believe you can see some excerpts of the video through Instagram, but also mm-hmm. a link to the official video will be linked in all of the episode notes so that everyone can watch and, and see the work. So the film that Melly is referring to is called Exodus and it came out in December of last year, December, 2021. Okay, great. So December, 2021, the video is set to Jay-Z's song 444 from the album of the same title, 444. And of course that song samples Late Nights and Heartbreak by Hannah Williams and the Affirmations. And I just had to bring that up too, because I loved in this film and in this, your, your performance felt close to that kind of reading or that performance of the song as well. Mm-hmm. And like really paying homage to those roots and like the origin even further back from 444 and like just thinking through kind of the carrying on of that lineage. So I wanted to read a brief excerpt from your description of Exodus. So this quote reads, Exodus is my seminal vignette that chronicles the horrors of self-actualization. The right to transform is political. Who we deem as worthy of rehabilitation and restoration is dictated by politics of desirability. Race, gender, class, and other systems of oppression distort who we believe is deserving of second chances. And I was incredibly moved by that. And I was also thinking about what you just shared a moment ago of this idea of transformation, uh, as well as self-actualization, which I think are hitting me very deeply because I find Mm -hmm. myself in a similar space of finding and digging deep into who is Daria and all the things that come with that. And so I wanted to hear, just hear from you digging in a little bit more about kind of that process of getting there, some of the origins of creating this work. And then also if you can talk a bit about some of your process and how you were able to shape this narrative. I I mean, you wore so many hats in the creation of this. So I just would love to hear a little bit about the different pieces and elements and how you brought that together. Yeah, I love this conversation. <laughs> I love this conversation. I'm I'm grateful for you. I'm telling you this. Like I have watched, of course, this video multiple times over the past couple months since we've been, you know, planning to get to get our, our episode together. And I just like I said, it's really it has hit me very personally because I do find myself in a similar space. So I really appreciate the work so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm just so appreciative. So I think I'll start with describing the video a little bit, and then I'll go into how it's inspired by my life. So in the video itself, you see a woman who is staring at herself in the mirror, just like deeply, intently, disgustedly staring at herself in the mirror. And the entire video is witnessing her talking about, you know, why do I find it so hard to love you? Mm -hmm. The original song, you know, is speaking to a lover. And when I interpreted the lyrics, I wanted to speak to myself. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I didn't want to focus on the external anymore. I really wanted to grapple with 
the individual, the self, who are we and who do we want to be and what is standing in our way of getting there. And so when I went through what I call an identity crisis in 2020 and I decided to step away from organizing, I had to grapple with myself. There was one particular moment I remember where I was staring at myself in the mirror and I just started crying and I was like, I do not like you. I don't fuck with you. I don't, I don't know who you are, but I know that you are not the person that I want to be. Wow. Something, something here has to die in order for something new to, to, to become, to, to become alive. Ooh. And so admitting that to myself was really scary, yeah. you know, because what do you mean you don't like me? You don't, you don't like yourself? Like, what do you, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like in that honesty. And I also want to say too, in that ugliness, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of, admitting your truth yeah when you hit rock bottom there's actually a lot of potential now for growth right because there's nothing left all you have around you is the remnants of you know your your breakdown what happens next and I feel like you're faced with a choice of you can either now decide to move forward and make something out of that ugliness morph that ugliness into something meaningful yeah or not even transform into something meaningful, find the meaning in the ugly, or you can choose to like fester in it and allow, and allow that ugliness to now distort you and, and who you are. And so for me, I decided I was going to more to find meaning in that ugliness. I wanted to get to know my ugliness. I didn't want to toss it to the side. I didn't want to beautify it. I wanted to really understand what it was. I wanted to understand myself raw. And so that video is a visual representation of what that process was like for me. And I think the reason why it was so crucial to represent that is because too often we don't communicate to Black girls and Black queer folks that they have the privilege and the honor of redefining who they are, not only to themselves, but in this world. We are so conditioned to see Black girls and Black queer folks as lacking Hmm. that we don't picture ourselves in we don't picture Black girls in commercials. We don't picture Black queer people being the voice of something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, for example, I have to make my own commercial in order for you to to start imagining me in that commercial. Absolutely. I have to to create my own music video and make it as complex as possible so that you can start to see my complexity as valuable. Yes. That my ugliness is actually fruitful, Mm -hmm. right? There's something to to gain from it. But the thing is, I'm at the helm of that. I get to decide what the narrative is, like how the story is put together. And so for me, in a lot of ways, the Exodus, the video, it Mm. was, it was a love letter to myself. And I think it became a love letter to so many black girls and black queer folks, because it was an example of what happens when you take ownership of your life and you, and you articulate what you want and what you don't want. One thing that Kay and I did is I remember we had this idea and we had no idea how we were going to do it. But I remember we said to ourselves, okay, we, we have two goals here. Okay. We want to be, we want you to become a pop star Yeah. and we want to create our own production studio. Boom. So we're going to have to do this the right way. And so I remember we had a conversation and I was like, okay, so brilliant ideas require brilliant processes. And we, so we have to really understand that what we are creating here this is the template for the rest of our lives understand that yeah and we we had we were in the car one day and we had this long conversation with god and our ancestors beautiful and we're like yo god we have no idea how this is gonna happen Mm -hmm. 
but we're putting faith and trust in you and we're putting trust in our abilities to yes. know that regardless of how this unfolds, mm-hmm. it's going to unfold in a way that honors our processes, that honors our personhood and that honors all the people that we are hoping to touch through this work. And from that day on, even though we had no idea what we were doing, we had no roadmap, we were committed to excellence. Absolutely. I mean, even through the editing process, we literally paid attention to every millisecond. And we were like, is this communicating what we want to communicate? If wow. somebody watches this second of the film, right, right. Well, how will they walk away feeling from it? And so I think we created a body of work now where people have told me like, it took, I watched this for two weeks before I formed an opinion on it. Or I, I sat with this for months because yeah. it really challenged me to think about who I am, yes. what I want. Yes. And so it was a very intentional process. It was a very slow process, but it was also fast at the same time. Okay. okay. But at the end of the day, um, it really is just a testament to the faith that we had in the story we were telling and also the faith that we had in ourselves. And also the conviction that we had to center Black girlhood and queerness in this work. And so throughout the entire process, it was how do we how do we craft this love letter in the most intentional, loving, caring way possible? Beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. That is so special to hear. And I think that the word that you used, intentionality, like 100%, it shines through. I'm also curious to hear for you, like I just think about the emotional aspect of kind of not necessarily reliving, but, you know, also starring in this work in certain Mm -hmm. sections yourself alongside. There's an incredible dancer, performer uh, as well. What was what was that artist's name? So their name is Majin and we actually went to high school together. Beautiful. Okay, that was. Yeah. And I, I specifically picked her for the video because I mean, and you can see it like the way she evokes emotion through her body. Incredible. Right. It communicates an ownership of that body. Right. Like I I was I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they're like, power is so deeply linked to how in tune we feel with our bodies. And far too often. Right. Black girls and black queer folks are communicated to that our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies are in service to other people. And so having her in the film was really important because I'm just like, I need to I need people to see like how this pain lives in our bodies and what it looks like to release that. That is huge. I really love what you said about this idea of ownership because seeing it embodied is something that I don't think we always understand how powerful that is or what that does or what it unlocks for Mm -hmm. the person viewing that. But that is really transformative. I've wanted to ask kind of how you felt or any ways that you might have found within yourself to, in a sense, relive or sort of re-engage with such a draining or daunting kind of process in a lot of ways. Um, How did that feel for you? I think for my first time doing that with Exodus, it felt really freeing in a sense because I had a lot of ownership across the board. Um, You know, for the first time, I had a story in my hands and I was in charge of not only strategizing around it, but I didn't feel constrained at all throughout the process. Amazing. there was a lot of discovery throughout the process of creating Exodus because we didn't know anything. We fucked around and found out, to be honest. It's like, that was, <laughs> that was, the, order, that was the order of, of, of that. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting now. I think with Exodus, to answer your question, it was 
revisiting it, I felt a new sense of power that I had. Like even, you know, something my my therapist had told me a a while back ago was you have to treat your emotions as information. Mm. And so because I had spent so much of that time getting to know my ugliness, getting intimate with myself, when I had to revisit it again with Exodus, it didn't feel like something I was running away from. Mm. You know, like I feel too often we have emotions and we're just like, I'm going to put that in the closet. I don't want to look at it. But because I had spent so much time getting to know it, it was like, this is me. Like, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of you. This is all of who I am. And so I don't feel like I'm lacking anything because I'm portraying this. I feel like in actuality, I feel powerful because I am embracing and I am honoring all of who I am and not running away from it. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. One piece, too, that really is sticking with me that you just shared is thinking about becoming intimate with oneself. I think that's Mm -hmm. something that I, from engaging with your work and, and even from speaking now, that's something that I really am so appreciative that I think you embody and that you encourage others as well to kind of really get serious about because I think that that is seriously like a revolutionary act. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if we all realize how how much more work we can do to truly feel a sense of absolute intimacy with oneself. And that's kind of something that I've been thinking about in different books that I've been reading and conversations that I've had. This kind of idea keeps coming back to the truest sense of knowing oneself and what that means. And so I just really, when you mentioned that about intimacy, I was like, wow, I really love that. You also brought up something else that I wanted to ask you about and in the exact wording. I keep doing that. (laughs) You did, which which is the wearing of hats. And that was exactly how I wrote it down. How does it feel? How do you manage to wear all these, all of these different hats? And, you know, are there ways that you Or are there different pieces of it that you find challenging, which you shared? And then also, I will say, though, if you have any advice to share to listeners who might be interested in working in a similar way, because what I was going to say is from my perspective, it seems that you do it and handle it so beautifully and and really, I I think I already used this word, so I don't want to overuse it, but embody each different kind of arm or aspect of what that looks like. You, It seems you're able to embody each of those roles in a way that comes together so seamlessly and in a way that really lends to one another in an organic way. And so I'm curious if there might be ways that you feel like you handle that well and that you might encourage others to like think about as they, if they might have to do the same. Because we live in an era where we know so many of us do kind of, we have to slip in and out, you know, of different different roles to accomplish the things that we want in the big sense. And so sometimes that can be a little tricky. <laughs> So, okay, it's interesting that you say that because, well, first off, thank you. Thank you for saying that I wear them so nicely. You're welcome. (laughs) That's, I'm telling you, I'm like, that's how it seems to me because I'm like, you don't miss every single thing that I have (laughs) seen, engaged with, all of your work, always stellar. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm like. (laughs) I think the first thing I can say is I really got to give it I have to give it to God and, and my ancestors. And I also have to give Always, it to my, yeah. my family members and specifically in Haiti who pray for me like nonstop. You know, I had I had the opportunity to 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 visit Haiti this past February. I went back for the first time in 18 years. I was born there and I saw I actually got a chance to witness like where my family actually comes from and had a chance to talk to my great aunt. And the first thing I told her was like, Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for yeah. for doing this on our behalf yeah. because so much I, I honestly like sometimes I look at my life and how it transpires and I'm like there's no way 
that this is mortal intervention. Like this is divine. Say it. Yes. You know, like there's nothing I, I, that I, that I had to do with this, you know, like there are times I'll notice full circle moments or just like things will manifest in really beautiful ways. And I'm just like, how did that happen? And there's no other way of explaining it other than like, there is a divine hand, you know, moving things in my life, maneuvering things in my life. Definitely. And, you know, a, a prayer that I often say when I when I talk to my ancestors, is I say, like, you know, I, I pray that you continue to guide me. But I also pray that you continue to trust that I also know what's best for me. Mm. So I. Yes. Right. So it's like, in a way, I'm cultivating this trust with my with 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 my divine God. Yeah. Or I'm basically saying, like, I know you have this vision. But I trust, I, I actually trust that I also have a vision and that those two visions can, co- can coincide and can connect and, and align. And so I definitely would say the first thing is to have faith. But I, I will say, um, I honestly think a lot of it is comes from knowing that if I don't do it, it will not get done. <laughs> it will not get done. Yeah. And this yeah. is not even coming from, you know, a control free perspective. Like I do have a verbal rising. I will admit it. Yes. Yeah, it's not coming from that. Oh, <laughs> Love that for us. <laughs> but it's not coming from that. It really isn't. What, what I understand, you know, because this time around with this new project, we actually did work a lot to expand our team and to try to get additional help because we didn't want to continue working at the speed that we were without having support. And what I realize is, is it's actually really difficult to find people who are not only committed to the vision of Black feminist futures, but also people who are willing to work for it. And willing I don't say that to, to do be the mean work. or anything, mm-hmm. but it's to say that I understand what the stakes are, right? Like, I understand why we need visual bodies of work that depict Black feminist queer futures. I know, I know what's at stake. And so a lot of times these are things that people just do not consider because they don't value us. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't consider us. They don't think about us. They don't, they don't really care about what our futures are because they don't have to. They don't see their freedom as linked with ours. And so for me, the reason why I wear so many hats is because I know it just won't get done if, I, if I'm not doing it. And I, I'm really blessed to have a best friend and a co-producer who sees the vision and who if she doesn't see the vision she asks questions and and she she probes me further and so I would say to anybody who you know is wearing those hats or feels like they have to put those hats on honestly like I think what what helps guide me is knowing that all these different facets of myself they're not separate they're all linked and what what's linking them together is this vision of how do we get closer to black feminist queer futures how do we get closer to that and not only how do we get closer to that but how do I also communicate to young girls young black girls young young black queer kids that they are powerful how do I communicate our power and I think for me what I've come to understand about my impact on other people is in a lot of ways I embody to other black girls and other black queer folks that the life that they want to design for themselves is possible wow (laughs) I love, love, love (laughs) that answer so much. And that's really beautiful and incredibly inspiring to me. Very empowering. Before we reach our close, you mentioned Mm -hmm. feminist queer futures. I want to talk a little bit about Dirty Girl, your debut single. 
I read a little bit of this work is going to be a political commentary that is sort of illustrating black queer girls and black queer femmes as a specific subculture who are resisting martyrdom under mm-hmm. cis heteropatriarchy. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear just from you a little bit about the vision that you have for this work, what we can expect a little bit of. I'm already really interested and excited just based on the name itself. So I just wanted to hear a little bit from you about this project and hear what's coming next. Yeah. Dirty Girl is, I think, what do I say about Dirty Girl? Dirty Girl is, (laughs) I would say, my dream come true, for real. I think Dirty Girl is, Dirty Girl is me alchemizing all of my experiences from the age of 14 to 23 and putting it into not only a song, but a movement. Because I would say with Dirty Girl, we are are building a sociopolitical movement that is concerned and committed to seeing Black liberation, but specifically Black, queer, and, and femme liberation in our lifetime, period. Like, it's, like it's no compromise uh, like about it. And I think specifically we are telling that story or, or building that movement, starting with talking about Black girls and Black queer folks who are very adamant about pushing against this narrative of martyrdom, pushing against this narrative that my sole purpose in this life is to serve others. It's like the, the, the mentality of the dirty girl is, why am I going to save you when, when you would never do the same for me? If the world is ending yeah. today, I will be the first one to go. So why am I going to put my body on the line? Why will I use my body as a bridge so that you can get to freedom? I'm not doing it. And so Dirty Girl is a very unapologetic. It's a very rageful. It's dangerous. We call it dangerous because... I love this, this so type, much. Yes. Yes. Like this type of narrative of of pushing against these structures and saying like, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to save you. I'm not going to be on the front line for you unless you are also willing to, to help me realize my desires. That is a dangerous commentary. But I'm going to be honest with you, Daria, is I, I feel like what I realized when I was organizing, especially towards the latter end, yeah. is that there actually is a, a vast exodus of Black girls and Black queer folks who are leaving movement work. And that is dangerous because far too often we are the people on the front lines. We are the ones driving the narrative. We are the ones pushing things forward. So if we're saying we're done, what happens to our movements? And so honestly, I want us to grapple with that. I really do, because we've been grappling with this with this question for generations. Black feminists have been asking this question for decades. What about us? What happens to us? And so if you don't want to answer that question, then fine, deal with it. We're just going to leave and we're going to create our own movement and they're going to be full and they're going to be equitable and they're going to be abundant because it's actually going to consider all of our needs and how we achieve those things ethically. And so Dirty Girl is really about building power. Dirty Girl is about really exploring and pursuing our needs on our terms and not sacrificing that on behalf of anyone or anything. I keep thinking about like, if we can get a generation of Black girls and Black queer folks to start thinking very seriously about power and the fact that we don't have it, so much is going to change. And so I'm really looking forward to helping to drive that conversation and helping to drive that work so that we can start to see more Black girls and more Black queer kids step into their power 
And I, I'm really excited to see what that generation or how that generation starts to form. That is absolutely incredible. And I'm Thank so you. excited for this universe that is Thank being you. created and sculpted and to work alongside you. I think that all that you're bringing up, this idea of rage, mm. danger, power, these mm -hmm. are such important places that we have to find ways to have more conversation about, but also thinking about the teaching around them, the language around them. And so I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly profound because like you just said, also thinking about these ideas being seen and in a visual sense, creating such compelling visual art that is going yeah. to help communicate these ideas on a larger scale. What you're saying also reminds me of a conversation I jokingly had with my sister the other day about this conversation of good girl versus bad girl. And we kind of were talking about the different ways that from birth society tries to minimize, diminish, quiet, control, constrict black girls' bodies, black girls' voices. And I was just like, good girls kind of finish last. Like, what am I getting out of, like you said, putting my life on the line for mm -hmm. Anything, mm -hmm. fill in the blank with whatever that person, that cause may be, but that's not reciprocated to me. And so we have mm -hmm. to find ways to think about that as a truth and acknowledge it and figure out what that progression looks like. We have to move away yeah. from that and figure out ways. And like you said, it also just requires people stepping up and being willing to do the work. <laughs> but yeah. people who do not look like just us doing the work, we cannot yeah. continue to solely shoulder yeah. this entire movement. Yeah. But I, I am so moved and inspired and grateful to be working and creating alongside individuals like yourself who are saying whatever. I, yeah. I don't have time, you know what I mean? To, to think yeah. about what might not be happening or how other people aren't showing up. You are simply stepping forward, doing the work to educate self, yeah. community, and within that work, it, it goes beyond. And yeah. so I'm so excited. I think you have so much power and it's really beautiful to witness and to hear you speak about this and also just to think about your impact it's really beautiful to me and yeah I'm, I'm just grateful to hear you speak about speak about your work I see you lighting up and it's it's really exciting um so thank yeah. you for sharing that about Dirty Girl thank you for the conversation absolutely like, absolutely oh my goodness always I I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always, always so excited to just talk with, like I said, the folks who are inspiring to me. And, and I think that the moments where we do have to step back to really share what's been on our mind in big and small ways and also to think about just kind of taking inventory and reflecting. You know what I mean? I know whatever, a moment ago, I, I'm like, okay, yes, you know, this is just the beginning. But even up to this moment, you have done so much work. And so to look back on that is also important to celebrate those moments. Mm -hmm. It's important to acknowledge yeah. all that has shifted, the ways that you've changed, the ways that you've grown. That's all very important. And so wherever I can create space so that we can do that and that more people can do that, and we can do it together. That is what I'm here for. So I'm very, very grateful for you. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I'm excited for for you and I'm, I'm I'm I think what even more deeply excites me is mm -hmm. that you use the word alongside of mm. um in terms of doing this this work I think overall when when we were strategizing on who Melly is yeah. we were like we want Melly to be a champion of of black women and black queer folks we want yes. her to be a peer we yes. want her to be working alongside not in front and never behind yes right alongside yeah us. and I think yeah 
and I, and I, I just think that's so beautiful. And I just want to commend you for creating this platform and Thank also you. just for, again, like really creating the space for us to have this conversation. I felt like you, you really, you really see me, which oh is, you know, goodness. something that I, it means a lot to me. And I feel like I just want us, more of us to experience that feeling of being seen, of being Absolutely. centered, of being cared for. And Absolutely. this was just a very caring, a very loving conversation. And so I'm just, I'm really grateful. And I'm also really excited to do this work alongside of you Thank and you. to be a champion of your work and Thank for you. us to be champions of each other. Of because each to me, work. like, that's also a big, huge part of our building power Yeah, is recognizing, like, how do I build power with the people who are right alongside me doing the similar work, Absolutely. who are probably experiencing similar things, similar feelings yes. similar anxiety yes like you know dirty girl is really grappling with you know the world is ending or it feels like it's ending it, up so in flames case, for real how do we build power with each other yeah how do we survive the end of the world yeah seriously and, especially in a world that does not want us to exist in the first place in the first place i really appreciate that so much well, we're going to get out of here soon, but before we go, I always like to ask my friends, my guests who I have on, is there a song, piece of art, book or quote or any sort of thing that you may have consumed or engaged with recently that's kind of been stuck on your mind because of the way that it's <laughs> it's impacted you yeah. the, and that you would like um, you know to share with others so that they might be able to look into it? Can I say two? I'm an overachiever. Of course, please. Overachieve, overachieve. (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, that. I would definitely say the two bodies of work um, is Paradise and Sula by Toni Morrison. Both books are by Toni Morrison. I think overall Toni Morrison just has a really beautiful way of haunting the reader. You know, I I really truly believe Toni Morrison was was a horror writer, horror, like uh, because that's like that's so how true. those are the worlds that she painted. Like, how do I complicate the lives of Black women? Yeah, and Black girls. How do I complicate that? How do I complicate this idea of Black liberation that we over romanticize? Yes. And for me, both books, I feel like are central to not only my understanding of Black womanhood and girlhood, yeah, but also they deeply inform the work that I'm doing with, for example, Dirty Girl and the work that I did with Exodus. Um, For me, it's really about how do I create these horrific realities? Sure. How do I speak to the ugly that exists around us and that exists within us? Yeah. And how do I challenge us to imagine other alternatives? And I think that's what Toni Morrison has done so beautifully in her work. And I just hope to be an extension of that. I hope to be, I just hope to be in conversation with her through my work. Well, I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing to talk back to the archive and in dialogue. You, you you're in dialogue. Absolutely. And yes, in dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Melly, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming you. on the show. I know that the listeners are going to be so thrilled to hear this episode. I have had an absolute blast chatting and catching up and getting to learn more about your work. Um, so I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. And yeah, I'm filled with gratitude. So absolutely. again, I just feel I feel at home almost. I just oh feel my like goodness. kicking my, my, my feet up. Kick back, back, kick like, back. That's yeah. what I want. That is what I want. So I feel honored. Good. I'm so glad. Well, listeners, I hope that you also have kicked back and feel comfy and are 
engaged with all of the things that we're chatting about. We're going to have some some exciting things to be on the lookout for. So please check out the episode notes. Make sure that you visit and follow Melly on Instagram. And I will also make sure to add all info related to video and music so that everybody can listen and support and share and all of the things. With that, I'm going to close this out. This has been another episode of The Art of It All. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.